0: Hey everyone. Welcome back to the Missio podcast. This is Daniel Jarko, and I'll be leading our time together as we continue our series on Encounters with Jesus, where we've been looking at all of these different stories in the Gospels where um, people have these meetings with Jesus and seeing what kind of transformative impact that has on the different people that we meet throughout the Gospels and. So we're going to be continuing that this week with with an example that I think is really interesting, one that I um, always kind of find myself coming back to, because it's just a story and a figure that I really love in the Gospels. And so we're going to be mostly in John uh, 3 today, and we're going to be looking at um, this Pharisee named Nicodemus. And I think what's kind of interesting about Nicodemus is, He's a person that we see uh, at least three times in the Gospel of John. So that's not a huge amount by any means, but it is more than what we see in a lot of people, right? Like when you're reading through the Gospel, so often, you know, inter-person, they are healed, you know, they meet Jesus, they talk with Jesus, and then we, we don't see them again, right? We only see them in this one context, And I think what's cool with Nicodemus is even through these three episodes that we kind of see him in the story of John, um, or through the Gospel of John, is just that we kind of get to see a little bit of his transformation over time, and I think it, it makes it very interesting to look at him as a picture of, you know, what was this encounter with Jesus like, because we really don't get a very rosy picture of Nicodemus. He's a very complicated figure. Um, and he goes on a journey, but it doesn't necessarily necessarily end with this neat resolution that, you know, we would like, right? There's, there's kind of a neatness to, you know, if someone's healed or something, you know, and then they leave and there's just kind of like story over. Whereas Nicodemus were really drawn into the complicatedness of who he is. And I think it's very effective in making us think more deeply about who are we? Are we, do we find ourselves as people like Nicodemus and that sort of thing? And so I think it's uh, just really amazing as well as just being um, just some of Jesus's most uh, memorable words about what it means to live in his kingdom. And so as we're starting out, um, we're going to be reading uh from John 2. We're going to catch the last couple of verses in John 2 and then read into the main story of John 3 with Nicodemus. And so um a couple of weeks ago we looked at the wedding of, at Cana where um Jesus turns water into wine and it's the first of his signs, you know, the first Um, of seven signs throughout the book of John, where Jesus is revealing to people who He truly is, that He is um, God made manifest. He's God in the flesh. You know, He's um, the Word that has become flesh, as John talks about in John 1. And so, um, this is the first of His signs. That story ends, and the next one begins, where Jesus then cleanses the temple. And of course, in the Synoptic Gospels, this happens at the end of Jesus' ministry. Um, John probably kind of moves this story to the beginning for thematic purposes to really show what Jesus' purpose is in his earthly ministry. And so, the way that that story ends is where we're going to pick up. And so, starting in verse 23 of chapter 2, uh, it reads, Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now, this is verse 1 of chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And I think there's a lot of things that are fascinating about the way that this starts off, but I think when we take this together, um, you know, this is one of the places where the uh, you know the chapter break and stuff doesn't do any of it do it doesn't do us any favors because um, these are thematically tied, right? Where Jesus, uh, you know, that story of Jesus cleansing the temple ends with this really strong statement of people believing in Jesus's name, but Jesus. And this is the same word as believed, did not entrust himself to them. He didn't believe in them. He didn't entrust himself. They were trying to, they trusted in Jesus' name. He didn't entrust himself to them. Why? Because they were just doing that because of the signs that they saw. But Jesus, on his part, knows all people and needs no one to bear witness to what is in humanity, for he himself knows what's in humanity he doesn't need anybody to explain it to him right he already knows, and so he sees through um, what appears to be um, this surface level kind of a fickle belief in the signs that Jesus was doing and I think what's most fascinating about this verse is just the way that uh, the way that it's described is uh th- there's no real seeming uh Distinction between the way that these are this is usually talked about, as opposed to how it's talked about here. Many believed in his name, right? That's exactly what we would expect for true belief. Um, but instead, there's some kind of distinction being made between this fickle kind of belief that comes from seeing signs and the true belief. That comes from just a knowing who Jesus is and wanting to join in the eternal life that he brings about. And so um, within that context, you know, it says that Jesus knew what was in man. And the next point or the next verse is, now there was a man named the Pharaoh, of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And so thematically, you get this kind of ominous note that this starts on. Where I think as a uh, hearer of the gospel, when Nicodemus is introduced and the way that he's introduced, it's supposed to make us begin to think, huh, what is Nicodemus about? And what is Jesus going to find in Nicodemus? Is Jesus going to entrust himself to Nicodemus or instead is he going to... um, hold back. And it's very interesting because we kind of see a very similar thing where, um, you know, what Nicodemus says is, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, okay? That seems to be starting off on the right foot, right? Throughout the Gospels, we see Pharisees not starting off on the right foot with Jesus, being very opposed to Jesus, but this Pharisee seems to be, kind of drawn to Jesus in a way. But then he goes on, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So then we're drawn back into the previous verses where we're like, "Uh uh-oh, Nicodemus started off well, but now we've got this sinking suspicion of, oh man, he may be a religious leader who um, Jesus may not entrust himself to. He may, um, Jesus may know too much about Nicodemus, um, more than Nicodemus perhaps knows about himself. You know, this is really uh, even highlighted in this idea of him coming at night, of course. You know, John is always bringing out these uh, dual emphasis, light and darkness, truth and lies, and so on. And so he comes at night. This is thematically setting us up to think about Nicodemus as, okay, we don't fully know about Nicodemus. How is Jesus going to respond to this? And this is interesting, I think, because, you know, we kind of say things like, uh, or at least I've heard these things a lot, thought them sometimes, of um you know, surely it would just be really easy to believe in Jesus if we were there for the miracles, right? Like, if surely if you just, like, see someone being healed or they're receiving their sight or whatever, of course you would believe. You're like, I've never seen anything like that. It would just be simple. Um, and it's interesting because what we hear from the people that are were actually there is the complete opposite. They're saying, no, this is the actually the seeing of the signs really holds people back from believing in Jesus in any true manner. And so we're kind of being set up into this world of who is Nicodemus and do we find ourselves in Nicodemus's shoes as a person who is a religious leader coming at night, being fearful of his colleagues, who thinks he knows what the Messiah should be about, but we're led to believe Um, maybe doesn't quite know as much as he thinks he does. And so we're kind of drawn into this story. Okay, so let's check out how Jesus responds, right? So starting in verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus said to him, How can a person be born when he is old? Can he enter into enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I think it's possible that Nicodemus is just really dense. You know, he's just like kind of dumb. <laughs> or I I think that's a possibility. But I kind of see this response as showing some uh, resistance to Jesus. It's showing some sarcasm towards Jesus. They're kind of going back in this. Um, kind of sparring between two religious leaders, right? Where Jesus has this kind of enigmatic response and Nicodemus responds in this kind of um, uh, sarcastic way to Jesus. And so Jesus goes on. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so there's a couple of things that we want to notice here. There's a lot of really rich wordplay that's going on. That I really love that uh, John, you know, Gospel in particular does so much of this and bringing out these wordplays and uh, in the interactions that Jesus is having. And so we start off with seeing, you know, Jesus is a teacher. Nicodemus is a teacher. Nicodemus is uh, said to be a ruler of the Jews, and of course he's meeting with Jesus who we know uh, is the true ruler of the Jews who will you know eventually be um, crucified as the king of the Jews and they're having this discussion about what does it mean to enter into the kingdom of God there's kind of this interplay of Nicodemus versus Jesus, who is the ru- the true ruler of the Jewish people and who represents the true heavenly wisdom that they're bringing uh there's this word play with jesus saying uh you must be either the word means born again or instead born from above and so there's this interplay of does it mean to be born physically a second time or does it mean to be born from above in this kind of spiritual sense and of course nicodemus takes this in the in the first the physical sense of like Oh, you know, what am I going to do? Enter into my mother's womb for the first time? And he uses, this is another wordplay, he says, should I enter into the mother's womb? Jesus responds, I'll tell you what, if you are not born of water and spirit, you will never enter the kingdom of God. So, don't talk to me about entering there, you will never enter the kingdom of God if you don't do this, if you're not born of water and spirit. And, of course, there's this uh, final wordplay of um, this word for spirit and wind is the same. And so there's this interplay of this idea of uh, spiritual people being like the wind, that you can um, feel its effects but don't know where it's coming or going. And, of course, this draws on um, all kinds of imagery from the Old Testament. You know, you think about how the Bible starts out in Genesis 1. Um, A lot of people think about, you know, the creation of coming out of nothing, and we believe that, we affirm that, of God created all of our material world. But the way that Genesis 1 actually starts off is with this formless void, this, uh, this, you know, earth pictured as just complete water. And it says that the Spirit of God is hovering around over the water, And so there's this picture of Genesis 1, of the creation itself. Uh, Another one is the Exodus, where um, they're going through the water, and it's a wind that comes that blows the water uh, away and parts it for the people to be uh, recreated as a nation, right? They've become, they were slaves, and they've been taken out to be recreated into this nation of God's people. And so, all of this subtle imagery and wordplay is bringing about this idea that Jesus is not just calling Nicodemus to, oh yes, we're on equal playing field. Like, you do know how the Messiah is to come and what it takes to be in God's kingdom. He's bringing about this idea that you can't just add this on. You must be born again. You must be recreated, right? You must be um, born from above into this heavenly wisdom. You must become spiritual instead of fleshly. And it's all kind of bringing about the same point to really, I think, try to um, test what's in Nicodemus. Jesus, you know, this, the way that uh, this ends, um, you know, later in verses uh, 19 and 20, it starts talking about light and what's exposed to the light, and seeing people's works. You know, Jesus is trying to bring light to Nicodemus to show and to reveal, are your works good, are they godly, or are they evil, or are they um, just mixed up at the moment? And so, he's bringing about this picture to try to bring Nicodemus to the brink of showing, no, you are not where you think you are. You're not the teacher of Israel, the ruler of Israel that you think you are. I am the true ruler and you must be born again into my family and into my way of being and into that kingdom which has its own rules that you don't understand. And I love this picture of being born again because we received this you know if we're born, that's a one time event right we uh we're you know one day we're not born the next day we're born, and that's our birthday you know we we you know we have it on a particular day there's a particular moment, but then it also has this progressive this uh this continuous sense where um we don't we're not born into something to remain infants we're born into something to grow up to mature to become. Um, complete over time. I love how this image brings out both of those aspects where there are moments in our spiritual lives where we must be born again into something completely new. We must enter into the kingdom of God. But at the same time, we all know that there's also a progressive sense to that. There's a continuous sense of that, of we're continuously being born again, being grown up in Christ, to know uh, what His will is for our life. And so in a similar way that Nicodemus is struggling with this spiritual life, this wisdom from above, this call to forget what he knows in the past, to enter into something greater, we struggle with the same things, right? In so many different levels. Um, We struggle to have... um, you know, this, this transformative experience of faith rather than just kind of a personalized, modular add-on to our faith. You know, we struggle with that aspect of fighting against the earthly wisdom that um, we're inundated with on a day-to-day basis. You know, there are earthly ways of thinking that act, and acting that we must be born again of. You know, one of them that uh, I think is just oppressive in our national culture right now is just just the political division and the justification for all kinds of tribalism and demonization and hate that we see. You know, if you listen to the rhetoric of the people around us whether it's uh, the media or our neighbors or uh, at times our own community. We can inundate each other with this idea that there are simply two kinds of people. There are donkeys and there's elephants. There's red people, there's blue people, right? And there's only two ways of thinking and you have to take it all or nothing. And there's no, you know, the other side is just a bunch of hateful, bigoted idiots. And their only worth is to you know, be kicked out of our nation or for them to leave. They're not worth anything. They're our true enemy. And ultimately, this only leads to the worst of what is uh, in our world, the worst of what our humanity brings out. Um, It it leads us to our worst kinds of impulses. You know, earlier this week, a person in Buffalo went and killed 10 people just simply because of their race and because of these lies that are espoused in our culture about replacement and the losing of white power in our nation. It's evil. It's the kind of, these kinds of political divisions and the rhetoric that goes along with it only lead to the worst parts of our humanity that only lead in, uh, ultimately, these kinds of genocidal acts. Of complete hatred and violence. Another area that I've been thinking about a lot that you know there are things in our culture where um, you know or in our political system where there are things that are concerning that each of our uh, political parties like you know that that it's concerning that they think this is very important or they they believe this, but there are also things that are very concerning that they both agree on, right? And those can be actually even more disconcerting. You know, one of them that I think about a lot is just our complete and total devotion to individualism in the United States, where everything from how I think, what I consume, what kind of job I have, what kind of community I live in, how I think about myself and my world is uh, inundated with this idea of individualism. And it convinces me that I have to look after my own wants and needs to the detriment of others. And if our highest priorities is ourselves, then we can never have the community that Jesus intended. It's something that we simply must be born again of if we ever want to live in the kingdom of God as Jesus intended. And we could name any number of different things that are like that, that we must be radically changed from, radically recreated from, to live this communal life of God's people who have encountered Jesus and been transformed by Him and are now being empowered by the Spirit. We must be born again from these things. And so what happens to Nicodemus after this encounter? So we get a few different snippets throughout the book of John. Uh, Later in John 7, we see... uh, you know the the pharisees are um you know they're getting tired of jesus they're wanting to arrest him wanting to kill him and we actually see this uh this scene of nicodemus actually standing up to his pharisee colleagues which seems to be uh kind of a move kind of a move forward you know where he's he's seeking to come into the light to some degree um you know, there's uh, the Pharisees are doing this thing where, you know, they're trying to control the insiders, right? They're trying to find the defactors of like, has any of our people believed in Jesus? And, and Nicodemus really pushes back against that. And it's kind of this uh, wonderful characterization of seeing Nicodemus kind of move a little bit further into the light, Later, uh, the last um, time that we see Nicodemus is actually in John 19, when um, Jesus has been crucified and he's died. And we actually see Nicodemus being with Joseph of Arimathea as the people who take Jesus' body and embalm it and bury it. And it's interesting the way that this is described because it says very specifically that Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. He was a secret disciple of Jesus because of his fear of the other Jewish people. And Nicodemus is kind of seen as a uh, person along with Joseph. And so, on one hand, we see Nicodemus kind of coming into the light. He's there when all of Jesus' disciples are gone. All of them have left him. And yet, Nicodemus is there, which really speaks to... The process of what God is doing in his heart and in his life. But at the same time, there's still this level of secrecy. There's still this level of, you know, is he fully in? Is he fully living in the light with Christ? And I think what this is supposed to draw us into for application for us is it's supposed to have us question, are we people of the light. Are we people who have truly been recreated and born again into Jesus' way of doing things? Are we born again into this loving community that Jesus once created? You know, on one hand, this idea of being born again is very uh, kind of, uh, and being born into the spirit, we could take away this kind of dualistic understanding of, you know, That's just like a belief thing. It's just a spiritual thing. But something that we see throughout the Gospel of John, as well as John's letters of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, all of them come back to this idea of how we know that we are born again is if we love one another. If we love one another. And it says, if we keep His commandments... We remain in His love. What's the commandment? To love each other. He keeps coming back to this idea of, you know, this what we could take as this very dualistic, spiritual, in the sense of being out-of-bodied, but it brings it back to this idea of, if we love one another, that's how we know we have been born again of God. And if we love each other, that's a very tangible thing. That's something that we can see, we can um, touch, we can feel. It's something that is very tangible. And I love that of like Jesus is calling us into this recreated order of being that we don't leave the earth. We're made more present here in our physical bodies to love each other in all of the many ways that we need to be loved. So it's to call us into this idea of, has that happened? Are we fully living in each area of our lives in that recreated way? And are we living in the light? Are we living without fear of um, the rejection that can come from the people around us? The fear that can come with uh, living as a Christian in our world? Are we living that congruent life of integrity that comes with true faith. Jesus is inviting us into the light so that we can just simply be who we are and and, and find freedom in that. Freedom from fear, freedom from anxiety, where we can be bold. And not bold in a sense that You know, there are so many people, so many Christians, unfortunately, in our world who they take boldness as an opportunity to say the most abrasive, hateful things. We are not people who are boldness for hate. We are people of boldness for love, that we will stand for love in any context. We'll stand for loving truth in every context and work towards peace And justice for all people and refuse to make enemies out of the people around us. That's why I love this story of Nicodemus because it draws us to that brink of the point where we ask ourselves are we living into this heavenly vision of Jesus? Are we truly, have we truly entered into this kingdom of love that's ruled by Christ? And so that's all for this week. This is our encounter with Nicodemus. I hope this gives you some things to think about this week, to reflect on spiritually with uh, your family or friends or whatever. Um, And we will catch you next week. So thanks.